Well, good morning, Highland Park. It's really good to be with you. This on week number two of our series called The People Who Love, and we've just been uh, asking the question, uh, what would it be like, what would happen if when our world saw us, they just said, wow, I, I, I'm not sure about all those Christians. Uh, they, they think a little bit differently than I do. They do some things differently than me. But I tell you one thing about those Christians is they sure do love me. And that's somewhat the message of First John. Last week we talked about verbs, how uh, Jesus has called us to live out the action verbs. Otherwise, we become a self-proclaimed giver who never gives, a follower who never followers, follows, a lover who never loves. But Jesus calls us to do those verbs. I hope some verbs came to your mind and heart uh, this past week. And today, we're going to just talk about the biggest of the verbs, that verb, love. Loving other people, loving God, loving our neighbors. Bob Goff says, love people, love everyone, and start with the people who most freak you out. It's great advice because there's lots of people who are very difficult to love. But Jesus says, love the person who has let you down and called you names and rolled their eyes at you. Love the person you want to avoid. Love the outsider. Love the dude who's wrecked his life. Love the woman who's not a very good mom. Love the mean teacher. Love the school bully. Love the social outcast. Love the person that when you see their name on your cell phone, you always hit ignore. Love the person whose politics you despise and you think are even dangerous. Love the Cub fans. <laughs> They're pretty good this year, and it's been like 100 years since they've got to the series, you know. And if they win, we're never going to hear the end of it for the next 100 years. Um, love, <laughs> you're right. I know. That's why I'm saying. I'm a Cardinal fan. We've got to love the Cub fans even. Love the person, Jesus says, who hates you. Love your enemy. The command is crystal clear. Love your enemies. But my friends, how in the world do we do that? Because that is the opposite of anything that we feel. And there's actually a way. And I want to talk to you about that way to even love our enemies. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John. 1 John uh, chapter 2. And we're going to be in a couple different places today in that book of 1 John. Uh, but you should know that John, he's the same guy who wrote the gospel of John. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He wrote about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. He was uh, the closest disciple to Jesus. Jesus loved him, cared for him. And when he was, was on the cross, he told John, hey, hey, take care of my mom. He loved John that much. And then John writes these three really short letters. First John is actually the longest, but it's only five chapters. And then Second John and Third John. Uh, you should know with First John that a false doctrine had begun to kind of slither its way into the church. This group known as the Gnostics had kind of combined several different false religions with Christianity and tried to kind of jumble it all together, uh, questioning some of the core truths. And so John is aware of that, and he's addressing some of that false teaching here in this letter. But when we read 1 John, we just keep getting this heavy dosage of love. 46 times it's used in the book. And that teaches us something about right doctrine. 
right doctrine can never be detached from love. Sometimes you think, oh, we're going to do a series of lessons on doctrine. And then we're going to do a series of lessons on love. Uh Uh-uh. Same thing. Because if we aren't loving people, our doctrine is way out of line. Because Jesus loved people and commanded us to love. So those things need to go together. And this morning, uh, we want to read uh, from three different chapters, different segments. And the way First John is kind of laid out, there's different sections that you can kind of combine and put together. But these are really important. And uh, I'm going to read just a little bit longer than we might normally read. But, oh my goodness, is this good. And if, if you're able to, would you just stand with me? And let's just read these and really soak in each word that God wants us to hear about his love. Let's begin in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Look over at chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Exclamation point. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how, we, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. 
for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Let's pray. God, this text just shouts it out over and over to us. We hear what you're saying, that we need to love you and love other people, and that all of this love comes from you, but God, it's hard for us to put that into practice. We stumble daily with loving people the way you want us to. So God, would you speak to us this morning your truth from your word that will transform our hearts and our lives and the people around us in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I told a story once about a skydiver whose parachute failed to open. He had jumped from over 10,000 feet, and he came down, and he landed on kind of a marshy ground. And eyewitnesses say he actually hit the ground and bounced. He ended up surviving that crazy fall. You may have heard a few of those stories. But it's crazy to think about, and apparently this can happen. It's possible for someone to fall from 10,000 feet, hit the ground, bounce, crash again and die on the second crash. And it, it reminds us that we have a job to do as Christian, and it's this. Catch people on the bounce. You know a lot of people who have fallen from 10,000 feet. People whose relationships have unraveled, lost their job, lost their friends, lost their finances. People who lost a fight to a, an addiction. People who seem to just... Everything is going wrong. People who have done all this damage with anger in their life. People who have blown it as parents. They've fallen from 10,000 feet and they hit and sometimes they bounce. And you know what sometimes they get? They get kicked on the bounce. I told you so. You should have done better. You stink. I can't believe you did that. And these accusations can feel like they've survived a 10,000 foot crash and they bounce and then got kicked and jesus comes and says love your enemy love the person who's fallen from ten thousand feet and they've crashed right in front of everyone's eyes and everyone's seen it maybe you have seen it think of all the people that jesus caught on the bounce after they've crashed or while they were crashing john 4 the samaritan woman we talked about last week Nobody else wanted to catch her on the bounce. Matthew 9, a tax collector. Everyone hated him. He had betrayed the Jewish people, and he was a cheat. John 8, an adulterous woman. Luke 7, a sinful woman. A centurion slave. A blind beggar. A faithless cripple. A man born blind. A demon-possessed man. Jairus' dead daughter. An officer who came to arrest Jesus. A convicted criminal. And Peter, who had denied he even knew Jesus. All people who had crashed in life. And Jesus was actually there to catch them, to love them. Lots of action verbs take place when you're loving people. And sometimes those action verbs can be surprising. I, I know that some of you had a verb that came to your mind this week. In a way that you could love someone even when it was really difficult to love. And I want to just invite Lily to come up, and she's going to tell us a story that I asked her to share with us. So come on up. This is Lily. Everyone say, hey, Lily. (laughs) So 
um, Lily, you and Michael, Michael's at drill this weekend, can't be here, but you all, your family is just in the middle of a tough situation trying to love somebody. So kind of just tell us what you can tell us okay. about, about that. Um, well, uh, one of my husband's family members has been sick and had a pretty major surgery about a month ago. Oh, no, no, no. About two weeks ago. And um, because of the significance of the recovery, uh, we moved him in with us at our house and really just poured into him. And this family member has actually been pretty sick for a while. And so this has actually been going on since April. And the surgery finally happened two two weeks ago. So we've just poured into him over and over and over again. Michael has taken off a tremendous amount of work. And, um, you know, I've got a four-year-old and a newborn, and taking care of this person 24-7 has been a lot. And we've just been greeted with so much anger from this person and just no thank yous and no appreciation and just kind of... He has not spat at us, but it's almost as if that's happened. So it's been really hard to just pour into this person over and over again and just have no thank you in return. So you've done all that you can to love this person. None of that has been reciprocated, which just hurts a ton. I'm sure every one of us can relate to some type of story where you can remember that we know that wound. And I know that the typical human inclination is to do something mean. I mean, it's, to, it's either to quit loving that person and just ignore them, or it's to actually lash out at them. And, um, and you were honest with me that you've had all of those human thoughts. Oh, yeah. Well, to be quite honest, my first thought was not, oh, this person's being hateful to me. I'm just going to kill him with kindness. That was not my first thought. (laughs) My natural inclination is, well, you can just eat some burnt toast for all I care. I'm not going to cook you some food. We're not going to do that. So that was my natural feeling. (laughs) But God reminded you of something this week. Well, darn you, Brian Jennings, because (laughs) when I, when I was having, I just hit a breaking point this last week where I was just like, you know, I don't want to love this person anymore. It's really hard to love this person and not have even a thank you. And so the Lord actually just reminded me of the challenge, that card that Michael and I had opened last week, and our challenge, one of the challenges was to invest in, eat with, or love on and spend time with someone that you would not normally associate with, and this week, that person would be this family member. I did not want to associate with this family member, and so I just took my very raw feelings before God, and I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to invest in this person because they're showing such unkindness and I want them to eat burnt toast. And, um, I just felt really pressed to make his favorite meal. And so I made him potato soup. So So sometimes love looks like potato soup. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, did that action resolve everything? And now he's just the happiest person ever and says, thank you. Did it break through? No. Um, I, I, I don't even know how it was received. Mm-hmm. I, I have not had a thank you. I haven't had acknowledgement. There has been no recognition of it whatsoever. I do know. I found out yesterday from another family member that it's been eaten. So it's okay, been good. consumed. But um, 
you know, I've had to really come to accept that, you know, sometimes when we give love to others, it's just not always met with rainbows and flowers and warm, fuzzy feelings. And it's not always reciprocated right back in the way I want to feel it. But you gave that an opportunity. You're giving an opportunity for something soft to happen in his heart. And so... I appreciate you sharing the story. And Lily wanted me to say, I don't need any applause for this because I've had too many bad thoughts. And oh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, every time I tell a story on stage, I'm feeling like, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. need any applause. However, it, it wasn't even my idea to do these little envelopes. We were in a meeting three months ago and somebody else came up with it. I don't remember who it was. Darn you, whoever that was. So. Blame the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Because God works in us and gives us ideas, and, I, and our job is to be obedient to that idea that the Spirit gives us and leave the outcomes to God. It's not our job to control the outcomes because we can't. So uh, would you just say your thanks, though, not because she's perfect, but because she was willing to be up here and share this story to encourage us. Thank you, Lily. Thanks. Sometimes... We love and it's just met with resistance. But here's the thing. When we hate someone back, it's pretty predictable what's going to happen, right? And suddenly love throws a curveball into the whole equation. It's not what people are used to. It's not what we are used to. So we come back to that question of how do I love my enemy? How do I, love, how do, I do that? Because that's so unnatural. And the answer can be seen in Luke chapter 7. And I just want to tell you the story. Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee to have dinner. It was a big occasion. This guy was an important person, considered to be a holy person, uh, knew lots of things, had lots of connections, had everything going for him, seemingly. He invites Jesus over. Jesus is kind of the biggest show in town. Everybody's talking about him, uh, even though he doesn't always want it that way. Um, But he invites Jesus over, and they have this big dinner set up. And when Jesus comes in, he is not met with the customary kindness. Feet would be all dirty walking the dirt paths, and this guy did not do the customary washing of feet or even providing that for Jesus. And they're sitting around talking, and this woman who had heard that Jesus was going to be here comes in. And it would not have been unusual for people to maybe kind of looked in the windows or be on the outskirts of the house kind of looking in to see what was happening. This woman just comes right in. And the text describes her as a sinful woman. Most scholars would agree that she was probably a prostitute. We don't know that for sure. But her reputation preceded her. She was not the holy person that you would think of. And she comes in, and she's just weeping. I mean weeping to the point that her tears are dripping on Jesus' feet. And the text says, begins washing his feet with her tears and her hair. And she breaks this expensive perfume jar on Jesus to honor him, to worship him. And just down here sobbing during the middle of this fancy dinner. And nobody knows what to do with that. Simon, the Pharisee, doesn't like it. Because because he sees this unholy sinner coming in and saying, like, Jesus, if, if you knew who she was, you wouldn't let her even be close to you. And Jesus, as he often does, says, let me tell you a story. He said, and I'm just going to paraphrase the story for you. Imagine that one of you owes the bank $50. You're going to pay the rest of that debt off next week, and you're good. Another owes the bank 
$50,000. You are swimming in debt. You can't make enough during the week to even pay off the interest on your credit card. You know you're going to get kicked out of your house. You've already lost your car. You can't pay for anything for your kids. You are drowning in debt. You don't know how you're going to even make it. You can't sleep. You're so worried about it. And the banker calls both of you in to his office. And he says, person who owes me 50, person who owes me 50,000, I'm canceling all your debts. All your debts are forgiven. Who of those two loves the banker more? Well, the guy that, you know, owed $50 is like, oh, all right, cool, man. That's nice. Uh, I'll, I'll go get a steak on my way home now. But the other person is like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they probably fall to the floor. And then they're running around, jumping and screaming. They're hugging. They're doing everything. They're, they're going to send that banker a Christmas card until the day he dies. Um, They're going to tell everyone, go to this bank. These are the best people. They're going to be so happy. And Jesus says, so who loves God the most? The one who's been forgiven much. And the story is that God has forgiven Simon and this sinful woman. But the problem is that Simon thinks he's only been forgiven a little bit. The truth is, they've both been forgiven. Maybe she's committed 50,000 sins in the last month, and he's only committed 50, but it only takes one to separate somebody from God. And so he thinks it's not all that much. The truth is, his one sin was enough for him to go to hell. And Jesus forgave him for that. Guys, uh, imagine that you had a a Saturday morning kind of like yesterday. You woke up. It's perfect weather. You realized you had no obligations. Um early in the morning at least, and you thought, man, this is the first time I can just kind of get up and go do a couple chores. Uh, I'm pretty sure I don't have anything uh, going on this morning. And you head out and you, you go to Home Depot to look at some stuff. And uh, while you're there, you see a lawnmower um, that looks pretty cool. And you're kind of checking it out. And being around the lawnmower makes you think about grass. And you think, oh man, Dick's Sporting Goods is right next door. And I'm thinking about my golf clubs now. And you go over there and you're looking at golf clubs and you notice it starts raining outside. So you get the putter and you go over to the putting green and you're just putting around, trying out all the putters and just having a good old time. And then you run over to Best Buy after that. And you're just hanging out, and you've completely lost track of all time and everything else. And finally, uh, you run through the rain back uh, out to your car, and you notice your cell phone is there on the seat in your car. And you click it, and you've missed 18 calls from your wife. And then you remember, I was supposed to pick her up at the beauty shop two hours ago because her boss was coming over for lunch. And so... Uh, You call home as quick as you can, and your son answers, and he says, Dad, I don't think you should come home. (laughs) Let let me just, let me me talk to your mom. Let me talk to, Dad, I I can't do that right now. Just good luck, and he hangs up. (laughs) And so you're trying to, you're going through all of these excuses. You know, what can I say? Can I say that, you know, I I saved, you know, a dog's life that was drowning in the river or um, the car broke down and and you realize none of that's really going to work and uh, you get home and and you see, uh, you you see your wife and she looks just like somebody's dumped water on her for an hour because she walked home because she had to walk home in the rain because you were supposed to pick her up and her boss is getting ready to come over any time now, and she's scrambling around trying to get lunch together, and she sees you, and she sees you. <laughs> and you look at her, and she says, 
how could you have done this? And he's saying, honey, I, I, I just totally forgot. I'm so sorry. She says, I tell you what, I'll forgive you. Help me with lunch. What would you do? What kind of hug would you give her right then? A little pat on the back? Hey, thanks, babe. No. No, you would fall down at her feet, and you would, you would lift her high above all women of the nations, and you would say, you are the greatest, and you would go buy her flowers the next day, and you would take out the trash and do all the chores. You would be so overwhelmed with love. And my friends, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Once we realize how much we've been forgiven, then we can begin to love. But not until then. The only way that we can love our enemy is to say, God, I recognize that I am completely 100% at fault. I'm on the outskirts looking in. I'm doomed. I'm destined for eternity without you. And you've forgiven me. You've extended your love And thank you, I'll do anything for you. Do you recognize your own sin? Have you received God's love? Here's what we know of love for sure. We know from reading these different passages that love comes from God. If our ultimate source of love comes from inside me or you, we're in trouble. Because we don't do so well, do we, human beings? It only took two generations for somebody to kill somebody else. When left to ourselves, we don't love very well. Love comes from God. It has to come from God. It has to be his love. And love comes from God. And number two, love is made complete in Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate perfect example of love. That Jesus would come, he would live a perfect life, and die the most excruciating death on the cross so that your sin and my sin could be forgiven. It's the completion, the ultimate act of love. And number three, we know this about love. We receive love, and then love transforms us, and then we pass it on. We receive love. It's a free gift. We can't earn God's love. You can't do anything for God to say, okay, well, you've done enough now for me to love you. Uh Uh-uh. No, we just, we love God, and he loves us, and he gives it. It's a free gift. And when we say yes to God, we say, yes, God, I accept your love. I accept your payment for my sins. We get in the baptistry, and we're baptized into him, and that's all part of saying yes to God's love for us, for God's payment for our sin. And that love transforms us. The only way we can love our enemies is if we're transformed on the inside, because it's not natural. Something out of this human experience has to transform us on the inside. And that is God's love to take hold of our heart. The text says that love casts out all fear. There's a lot of stuff to be afraid of in our city, in our community, in in our nation, in our world. We could look all day at all the stuff to be afraid of. Here's the problem with fear. When you fear somebody, you have a hateful response to them because that protects you. From them. When you, when you are just living cast in fear, it's really hard to love people at the same time. But this text says that love casts out fear. And when you think about God, we have this reverent fear for God, but we don't have this fear, uh, this panic that drives us away from God. Instead, it's this reverent fear that draws us to God. Love casts out the panic fear. 
How can you love someone who really freaks you out? You let love replace the fear that you have for people. And then we pass it on. We receive it. It works and transforms us on the inside. And then from the inside out, we pass that love on to others. Love shows us that we're in the light, and then we shine that light to others. Remember Jesus, when he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about how if you put a, a light up and you don't cover it up, then it you know, lights the whole room. And think about a city that's way up on this mountainside, this hill, and then the lights are on, and you can see it from miles and miles away. And if you have this amazing love that even says, I love my enemies, there will be a light in you that people see. Why? Because our world is dark. Our world is full of hate. Our world even breeds contempt and divisiveness and says, fear this person, hate this person, protect yourself, get rid of this person, don't like this person. That's so much of the discourse that goes on. There's all this darkness. And when you get out there and you begin to love people who hate you, you'll shine like a city on a hill. People will look at you and say, I can't believe they love this neighbor who's been so rude to them. I can't believe that they love their boss that's mistreated them so much. I can't believe they love that student at school that's been a bully to them. I can't believe that they love, what would it, that would, how could they be drawn to such love, to light, and people will be affected by your light. We've got to shine a light on others. There's so many people who feel like a nobody. When nobody hugs you, you feel like a nobody. When nobody calls you, you feel like a nobody. But when somebody pays attention to you, when somebody gives you a hug, when somebody checks on you and gives you a call, when somebody takes you out to lunch, you begin to feel like a somebody again. And then that might even open you up into realizing that God has created you and you are valuable because he created you. So your love, my friends, into the lives of other people might be the difference between life and death for them. What, what if you're the one person who can love them and care for them? I know there's lots of reasons not to love them. We could list a bunch of the reasons. Love them, though. Jesus doesn't give us any way out. And First John, there, there's so much about this idea of love that we realize that love is the greatest command, it's the greatest demand, and it's the greatest privilege. I mean, Jesus says, love, and there's no other way around it. You just love everybody. You, you can't pick and choose. You love everybody as I love everybody. And that is a great command and a great demand. But it's also a great privilege. You want to live a fun life? Start loving people. Are you bored? That means you're not loving people. Are, do you feel apathetic in life? It means you're not loving people. If you want to have a fun life, start loving people. Oh, it might be messy. It might be crazy. You might get in over your head. But just start loving people. And make them soup, even if they throw it back at you. Care for them. Invite them. Do whatever you can. I think just on a practical level, this comes down to oftentimes stepping where we're not quite sure, but we just choose to love people somehow. Yesterday, a funny little story, and again, I blow it way more than I do what's right. But yesterday, with my family, we're hitting a tennis ball around, uh, and at the same tennis courts, 
the University of Mississippi shows up to start playing as well. And the way they hit it is slightly different than the way we do. Um, and so uh, it was cool just to watch them. I think they were, like, getting ready to play this big tournament at TU or something. And so I had turned around, and I was kind of watching these guys just hit it just amazing. And then all the way down at the end of the courts, there was somebody else down there. And uh, they had a, a big uh, bag of balls, and they would kind of toss it up and kind of go like that. And sometimes they'd even hit the ball. But sometimes he did, and it would just kind of go down into the bottom of the net. He went through the whole bag of balls. I don't know that he got any over the net. And then he went up, and he would pick them up and go back and do it again. And I thought, man, this guy is struggling to learn how to play tennis. <laughs> and, uh, and I had that moment. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, well, we could just get in the car and go. Or, like, maybe, maybe I could go over there and say, hey, dude. I, I got some buddies who play. My friend Tony, we play. You want to come play with us sometime? Give him my number. You know what? So that's what I did. I almost left first, and I had to stop the car and get out and go over. Um, so don't think too highly of me. I almost completely skipped it. And this dude may never call me. I may never see him again in my whole life. But what if a simple act of love could change a life? The truth is that I have some friends that I've made because of that very conversation, something very similar, of just somebody stepping out, somebody saying, hey, man, how are you doing? Do you know there's a difference between magnetic north and true north? I've never had to navigate the seas. Um, Jason here could tell you about this a little bit better on a trip he took recently. Um, But here's what I know. I know if you're looking at your compass and you're supposed to be going true north, but your compass is set to magnetic north, and you go on a short trip, uh, you know, go, you might just end up, a, you know, 10, 20 feet off mark, and you'll probably find where you're trying to go. But if you're trying to sail across the seas, and you're, you're supposed to be going true north, but you're actually following magnetic north, your angle gets bigger and bigger the farther you go, and you might miss the whole island. You might end up as fish bait because you were following magnetic north and not true north. And here's what I know about love. That's your true north. When you are in this life and you aren't quite sure what to do, I don't know what to do with this family member. I don't know what to do with this friend. I don't know what to do with this situation. I I don't know what to do at work. I don't know what to do during this political season. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Let me tell you your true north. It's love. It's the love of Jesus. You look at that and you make a beeline for it. And here's the deal. Lots of the pull, the magnetic pull, will lead you away from true north. There's this magnetism from our world that says, protect yourself, comfort yourself, do what's best for you, be on my side. But instead, you look for true north, you see Jesus, and when you see Jesus, you'll see love. And even though this world is messy and your decisions will feel kind of like they're in the gray area, if you just set your compass for true north, you'll be all right. You'll honor God, and you will love people like Jesus loved people. And that answers a whole lot of questions that we have. What should I do? What should I do? What should, what should I do? You look at Jesus, and you see his love, and you love him, and you love people, and you march that way, wherever it takes you. That's your true north. And I know that many of us here maybe have said, 
yeah, I'm, I'm following my true north, but I also know that there's some folks here who maybe have never declared their true north. They, they've maybe kind of been, maybe you've been walking kind of this gray area of, I'll, I'll go to church some and I'll f- follow God when it's easy, um, but I kind of want to keep my options open. So I'm not going to commit. But Jesus says, that doesn't work for me. You declare your true north. You either say yes to me or no to me. Jesus is gracious. He'll visit with you. He'll give you some time to explore who he is and to determine if you want to make that decision. But there's also a moment where Jesus says, just say yes and follow true north. And we want to give you that opportunity. I know there are several folks... um, over this last month that leaders met with, talking about what it means to follow Christ and be baptized, and it's several of you here, several of our students and kids, and maybe that's you today, and if you would like to pray with someone, talk with somebody, we encourage you just to come up to the front rows, and somebody would love to meet you up here and pray with you. Um, maybe you're even ready to be baptized today. Um, we would welcome that as well. If you would, would you stand, and uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us a true north we can follow. And we pray that every person here would say yes to you and would follow you with everything they are. Thank you for your love that you've lavished upon us. I pray that it would transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen.